What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 19 of Chatter Up with your host with the most, yours truly, Bobby Rubin, and the man who is affectionately known as the Colossus of Clout. He hits like maze. He runs like haze. Jared Wiesel. What's going on, dude? Bobby, episode 19. We are living the dream, rolling in the green. How have you been? I have been amazing because there's another episode out and it's on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts because this week might be our best week yet. Might. It definitely will be. There you go. There's, there's no other proof than you need. The testimony of the host with the most. We have a packed What Did I Miss schedule. We'll take a look at the MLB trade deadline, the NBA playoffs, some mixing and matching, some people on the move and staying put. We have the return of the Chatter Chamber, which we're super stoked about. We also will do another This Week in Sports History, as this week we got something special for y'all and a whole lot more. Jared, can you wait any longer for this? Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Let's do it. Let's do it right. Let's do it right now. And let's chatter up. All right, man, let's jump into it, right? I mean, we start the same way every week. Let's just do this. There's no better way to start this week's What Did I Miss than with the NBA playoffs. There are eight teams remaining. One of them is going to win the coveted bubble trophy, which should be just be in a bubble. But either way, let's just start in the East. Bucks heat. Crazy, right? Yeah, Bobby, I kind of feel like a fool because last week we talked about how everyone overreacted to the Bucks losing game one in the Magic series when, like, they were going to be fine, right? And I, like, basically just went out and said, the Bucks are going to be fine. Like, they're not guaranteeing they go to the finals, but I think everyone's, like, a little bit overreacting. And here we are a week later, and the Bucks are on the verge of elimination. They staved it off today by winning game four to make it three to one. But Giannis had to leave the game. We don't know what his status is yet. And even with him, obviously the Heat have not really had much trouble with the Bucks, did you see this coming at all? No, not at all. I, I to, to say anybody called the Heat winning their first seven playoff games is lying. I mean, it's it's crazy to think that Jimmy Butler is the star of that team, and they are dominating. And and maybe this is opening up some kind of a door where you don't need a superstar to win a championship. Not that Jimmy Butler isn't a superstar, but. Would you even go to say he's a top 10 player in the NBA? I mean, you know, questionable at best. This is really surprising. Now, is this more, you know, is this more success for the Heat or failure for the Bucks? I think it's a combination. And I think if you're a Milwaukee fan, you have a lot to be terrified of, especially if you lose. Like, yes, of course, it's devastating to lose. But what happens to that team after this series? Yeah, and I'm going to just give credit to the Heat because we have not spent any time talking about the Heat on any of our previous podcasts because I don't think either of us really thought of them as a contender to win the finals, right? Like, all the credit in the world to them for putting together a good team. Props to our guy Andrew Janoff who's been hitting me up about talking about the Heat, and now we'll do it. It's just crazy. I mean, I, I was one of, I think, a lot of people who, after Jimmy Butler left the Sixers to go to the Heat, thought like, okay, Jimmy Butler's kind of all talk. Like, he says he wants to win, that his number one thing is winning, but, like, he probably left a better situation for a worse one because I didn't think that he could be the best guy on Mm -hmm. a championship-caliber team. And here we are a year later with the Sixers swept out of the playoffs, not making any noise, and the Heat one win away from going to the conference finals in the process beating the number one seeded team with what is probably the MVP. Yeah, I mean, it is is hard for me in any sport to bet against the hot hand, you know, go back to any, look at Kansas city when they won the world series, you know, there's just, there, there's some teams that are just a buzzsaw. They're just not going to beat. And it, it really feels like the heat are a team of destiny right now in the East, which leads us into the second series Celtics Raptors. This was very, very nearly three, nothing Celtics. And the Raptors pulled a rabbit out of their hat and, and we've got a series. Do you see this series leaning one way or another? It's crazy because for a while, it looked like the Celtics were the team of destiny. They'd swept through the Sixers without any problem. They won the first two games, and it really looked like, okay, they're not going to have any issues with Toronto. We're going to see them in the Eastern Conference Finals. 
maybe without losing a game. And it came super close, just really five-tenths of a second away, right? We were watching that game together. We both were sitting in a pile of our own urine, I think, after right. seeing that yep. shot go through. Yeah, it was awesome. And here, the, and the, the, the Raptors respond and pull out game four. And now we have a series. Now we have what looks to be the most competitive of these series so far, right, of these second-round series. Obviously, a bunch of them have only just gotten going. But I lean Celtics just because I think they have the best player. I think Jason Tatum is the best player in this series, and that that gives me some more confidence in the Celtics. But if you if you say to me, I lean Raptors because of the championship pedigree, I don't think I could fight that. Yeah, and, and it's – this is probably the best coached series that we'll see for the entire time. You know, you have the reigning coach of the year, Nick Nurse, on one side, who's brilliant. And you have Brad Stevens on the other side. I mean, this is potentially the best basketball you're going to see. It's really entertaining. I also tend to lean Celtics. I just think they're the better team and they're playing better. I think Toronto pulled one out of their hat in game three. Looked good in game four. I, I think Brad Stevens faces off against the Heat in what will be, in my estimation, an unbelievably entertaining Eastern Conference Finals. A retro a Celtics Heat series circa, you know, that, that makes me think back to the big three LeBron days. Those were the days, especially when Paul Pierce said that he was better than Dwayne Wade, which is, you know, whatever. Let's shift gears, Bobby. Let's look over to the Western Conference. These series have really just gotten going, so there's not too much there yet. But the Rockets stole game one from the Lakers. We saw similarly in the last series where the Lakers lost game one and then just steamrolled through the Blazers four straight games. Does this look different to you, Bobby? Does it feel different, or do you think we see a similar result? Yeah. Listen, the Rockets play small ball. That's their thing. That's the thing that they are going to live and die by. They knock down threes, but – LeBron is LeBron, AD is AD, and they're not going to shoot poorly every game. It's just not going to happen. It would be a genuine shock of monumental proportions to me to not see the Lakers move on to the Western Conference Finals. They're just too good, and Houston is too small. They nearly lost and arguably should have lost to OKC, who is a great team, but they're not the Lakers. Chatter up all right, the OKC Houston. Seriously, you know, if if OKC had moved on in one game one, it would have said the same thing. I, I, I don't think either one of those teams is really good enough. I think the Western Conference is a three team race between the Lakers, the Nuggets and the Clippers. Yeah, and honestly, the Lakers really just needed to get to game seven, right? Because we know Harden won't show up for game seven. True. And as, as long as they get there, I think they're fine. I think we're on the same page of this. If, if the Lakers don't win, you know, I'll, I'll stick a foot in my mouth, but it, it would be a real, real surprise. Now, is it a surprise that we have in our fourth series a really competitive one with the Clippers and the Nuggets? Jamal Murray obviously making a superstar name for himself in the playoffs this year. Jokic is Jokic, and the Clippers are the Clippers, and, and it's been a pretty entertaining and competitive series. Do you see... A, a lock for the L.A. teams to go at it in the Western Conference Finals, or, or can Denver pull this one out? I think the Clippers end up pulling it out, but they're just a strange team to me, the Clippers. They look great, like, on 75% of the games, you know, 75% of the nights they play, and then the other 25%, they could just look like one of the worst teams in the league. And so it feels like once or twice a series, they're just going to have these games where they look awful, and that'll help Denver, and that'll help make it a competitive series. And Jamal Murray really feels like the star of this playoff so far. The guy that obviously, if you're if you're you know, if you're a hardcore NBA fan, you know who he is. If you're a casual fan, you've heard, you might have heard of him, but you don't you didn't think of him as on par with some of the other stars in the league. But so far, he is showing that he is every bit as good as these as some of the other stars in the league because he carried them through that comeback against Utah. He was great in Game Two against the Clippers, and maybe he leads them through through the Clippers. I don't know. I mean, at, at this point, it doesn't sound crazy. Yeah, if you're talking about George and Kawhi as the superstars in the Clippers, Jokic is an MVP candidate. The guy can ball. 
And if Jamal Murray's playing at this level, then you're talking about two really MVP-type players playing in the same, you know, or sorry, two, two duos of MVP players playing in the same series. It would be really interesting. I think part of me would be really disappointed not to see Clippers-Lakers just because that's what everybody's looking for. Same, same. But it wouldn't shock me to see the Nuggets pull it out. Now, let me tell you about something that did shock me as we shift gears here slightly. The Brooklyn Nets this week hired the completely inexperienced, no sort of job like this before, Steve Nash as the head coach for a probable championship contending team. Surprised by this? I assume you are. Do you think this was the wrong move? It just came out of nowhere. Like you had not heard any rumors at all connecting Steve Nash to the Nets job or connecting him to any job, like in any coaching circles. Just really, when I first saw the tweet, I had to like check to see, is this a fake Woj account or is this the real one? Because it's just so out of left field. It really shows you how far the state of the NBA has come where, look, it's not that Steve Nash doesn't know basketball. He obviously does. He's a two-time MVP. He's only out of the league a few years. And one of the smartest players, when you're watching him in his prime, like always two steps ahead of the opposition. That doesn't always translate to coaching, right? And to think that like his best qualification, the reason he got this job basically is because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving like him, which is like just a strange thing. It's so far from what the criterion for the job was in the 80s and the 90s. It's not to say that it shouldn't be valued, but it is strange to me that the reason you bring a coach in is because two of your players like that guy. And it's, it's hard for me to say good hire, bad hire, because we've never seen him do it. And I'm a little surprised that they would make this kind of hire when they really, their championship window is basically what three years at most two years, maybe. And can they win year one? Sure. But they're, he's going to have growing pains, right? Which might end up costing them in year one. And then you limit yourself even further. What did you? What was your take on about it? It, it was it was a shock, as I think it was to most people. And this isn't a, even a knock on Steve Nash. You know, a lot of people have been saying it's a weird move, but the, the general consensus, you know, Steve Nash is one of the most loved guys in the NBA. No one has a bad word to say about him. He's got a squeaky clean reputation. He has clearly an amazing eye for basketball. He's a two-time MVP. The guy knows the game. And will he be a great coach? If I was a betting man, I'd say sure, probably. You know, he, he, he seems to have the mind for it. But it just didn't make sense to me, given the other candidates in the field. You know, Stephen A. Smith's rant on this, which I'm sure you saw and, and, and many other people did, claimed that this was a thing of white privilege. And he wasn't blaming Steve Nash. And, and he wasn't even blaming that. It was just like a – he said this doesn't happen to people of color. And it's hard – to argue against that when a guy like Nate McMillan, who was just fired, who has had success, who is a leader, could come into this, and it seems like that could be a pretty good fit. You know, I, I'm not an NBA GM, and, and I would never claim to be, but it seems weird that a guy like Nate McMillan wouldn't have at least been considered, and I guess we don't know. Maybe he was, but you have him. Brett Brown clearly was an option. Ty Lue. Ty Lue. Like, what, what was the logic here? And, and I guess it's catering to your superstars. He has a great relationship with, with the superstars, so okay. But uh, I don't know, man. It's just – it feels weird and sour to me. Yeah, I mean, look, I think probably what happened is they went to, they went to KD and Kyrie – and they put a bunch of names in front of them and said, like, who do you guys want? Who do you guys, who do you guys want to play for? And that's how they chose Steve Nash. I don't think there's like really much more to it. I take issue with what Stephen A. Smith said, just that we just saw it happen with, with, a, with a coach of color, and that's Jason Kidd. Who, it was only five years ago that Kidd, this, literally the exact same scenario, the exact team, where he played for the Knicks, mm -hmm. retired, mm -hmm. five seconds later became the coach of the Nets with zero coaching experience, and it didn't go great. And we've seen it with other guys, too. Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson. It's it's. I didn't I didn't see it as a white privilege thing. I just saw it as a curious choice. But I think the only way to explain it is just look. Nash had a relationship with KD from from being I think a consultant for the Warriors, 
and the player and they respect him. And I felt bad for Jacques Vaughn and that he looked to have done a pretty good job with the Nets, um, you know, getting them into the playoffs where their entire team was basically ravaged by COVID. It wasn't really a competitive series against the Raptors, but like even so, to even just have gotten there, and, and he is—I mean, he he becomes the lead assistant. I think the highest paid assistant in NBA history, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it still felt like they kind of just tossed him aside. But it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this moving forward. Yeah, it's championship or bust, and anything short of that, I don't know if it'll cost him his job, but people aren't going to be too happy. I'll tell you that. Is it championship or bust for the San Diego Padres, Bobby? After making a big move for Mike Clevenger this week at the MLB trade deadline. We know Clevenger had his issues with Cleveland with this whole um, breaking the COVID protocols. Teammates did not seem to want him back, which was surprising, right? Because he generally in sports, if you can play and Clevenger can clearly play, you can get away with pretty much anything. And here are the Padres relevant for the first time in what feels like forever since we were like little kids making big moves. Do you see this con- this move paying off for them? I'm going to answer both those questions. Is this move going to pay off? Yes. Is it championship or bust? No. San Diego has miraculously built themselves a core. You know, they have a core of young superstars like Tatis. And it's weird to think of Machado as a veteran, but he's kind of verging into that territory. Yeah. And they, get, they have a team here. That's not going anywhere. You know, I don't know. Do you, do, you, do you know what Clevenger's contract status is? I think he's under contract for the next at least two years after this. That's what I figured. It's, it, this, isn't, this isn't a rental, you know. Yeah. It, he's going to be there. They can play. And if they make the playoffs this year, which for all intents and purposes, it looks like they will, and they make any kind of run, that's a success to then build on to 162 games next year. I thought this was a great move, great for the Padres, I'm rooting for him, partly because I'm a Machado guy, but partly because they're just fun as hell to watch. Yeah, and he is absolutely an ace. There's no question about it. Mike Clevenger, when he's on the top of his game, is as good as just about anyone in baseball. And we've talked about it before. In these short series, these, you know, the first round is going to be that three-game series. If you can throw a guy like Mike Clevenger out in game one, you can pretty much match up with anyone with the bats that they have in their lineup there's no reason to think that they can't make a deep run into the playoffs. Are they better than the Dodgers? Probably not, at least this year. And the Dodgers are so well run that who knows if they'll ever overtake them. But still, I, I, I give them a ton of credit for building it the right way, seizing the opportunity, and going for it. Yeah, I, I, and, and, and I just want to touch on this briefly now that we're talking about buyers. The, the Marlins also were buyers at the deadline. Surprised on that? Or, or I don't know, it was weird, right? Super surprising. And, and again, I give credit to them, too, because the Marlins had no expectations coming into the season. I think no one considered them a contender to, of course, not a World Series contender, but even a playoff contender. We thought, like, by 20 games in, they'd be out of it. And here we are, pretty much two-thirds of the way through the season, the Marlins in prime playoff position. And this is a year where there are no fans at the ballpark, right? So any team that makes the playoffs, you're not making extra revenue from all that playoff money coming in. So it would have been easy for the Marlins to just sell off a bunch of guys, say like, all right, it was a successful season for us. We were in it for most of the way. Now let's capitalize on these guys and like keep building for the future. But that's not what they did. They made a buyer's move by trading for Starling Marte. And are they going to make the playoffs now? I don't know. They're, they're still in good position for it. He's not, I mean, he's not like a Clevenger kind of move that puts you, you know, in the conversation with the real contenders, but it's time, I think the ownership realized it's time to start seeing some results. You can't just lose 100 games year after year after year and tell your fans like to just keep waiting for next year. And so, just like the Padres, I give them credit for, for realizing, hey, we're in this thing. We have a chance to make the playoffs, and let's go for it. Because for so long, we've criticized teams for tanking and not trying to make the playoffs. So good for the Marlins for doing the, going the other way on that. Yeah, I mean, that's true of every sport, right? That There's so many teams that are tanking all the time and trying to make the playoffs, and they're not. I mean, yeah, super commendable. And speaking of commendable players, Jared, or lack of commendability, in a surprising or not-so-surprising move this week, the Jaguars cut Leonard Fournette. He went to go sign with the Bucks, which is adding a star name to a lineup already of stars. Jared, are the Bucks the team to beat in the NFC. 
the pain that is dripping out of your face right now, just having to say that, Bobby. I mean, the listeners, I'm sure, remember your rant in one of the early episodes of this historic podcast, claiming that the Bucks will not be better this year with Tom Brady than they were last year with Jameis Winston. So I'll ask you, does adding Leonard Fournette, former number four overall pick in the draft, a guy who went pretty high in fantasy drafts last couple of years, does that move the needle for you at all? Absolutely not. This is a joke. Leonard Fournette can play. Not going to say he can't. But this, is, this doesn't change anything. Tom Brady couldn't make the throws last year, and he can't make the throws this year. Jameis Winston had a better arm, has a better arm, than Tom Brady in terms of distance. Is he a better quarterback? No. I understand that. Everyone calm down and relax. Sit down for a second. Tom Brady can't make the throws anymore. Rob Gronkowski is not the same Rob Gronkowski that he was. So if you are betting on the Bucks right now, you are an idiot. This is a stupid bet. They are going to be 9-7, and seven and they will not make the playoffs. You have planted your flag on that mountain. That You own that take now. You double down on it. And I feel like we're going to be coming back to it more than once during the regular season. Absolutely. A hundred percent. We can come back to it every single week because I'm not wrong. But if we're on the subject of predictions, Jared, season's about to start on Thursday. Who you got coming out of the NFC, coming out of the AFC? What do we got in terms of a Super Bowl prediction? I'm going Chiefs-Saints. The Chiefs, it's just impossible to, to bet against them. Probably the best offense in the history of the NFL. Full year of Mahomes, healthy, we hope. And the Saints, I mean, look, the Saints are good every year. This is the last year of Drew Brees' career. Maybe I, I, a little, uh, little sentimentality attached to that pick. But I think the Saints, like I said, they're good every year, and it would not surprise me to see a Saints-Chiefs Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the AFC. I cannot see another team coming out of the AFC other than the Chiefs. It's just, it's too stacked against everyone else. I mean, it's Chiefs or Ravens, right? It has to be. Anything else would be a massive shock. Out of the NFC, this is the year of the revenge tour for Aaron Rodgers. And it's weird to say that because he went 13-3 and last year, but everybody's doubting this guy. He had a great season last year. He threw for 4,000 yards. He, I think it was, what, 28-4 and TD to interceptions? He was ridiculous, and everyone's counting him out. This team, he's going to put the entire team on his back and make it to the Super Bowl. And you know what? I'm just going to say, he's going to win it. He's going to win the Super Bowl, and it's going to be one of the greatest victories you've ever seen. Wow. So we've got Aaron Rodgers hoisting the Lombardi, and we've got Tom Brady sitting on his couch watching the game with Dan Snyder. As it should be. Two idiots. Jared, this is it. The return is here. The chamber is locked. The seat is hot. Let's do this thing. The people have been asking about it, and you've got to give the people what they want, and that's what we're doing this week. So this week in the Chatter Chamber, we have a Dean List. And Bobby, let me tell you, this might be our most persistent Chatter Chamber yet. I have a feeling that he will not leave the chamber without having his arguments fought. So we might be here for a while. I'm excited. Let's do this. So, Adine, without any further ado, what is your take? Well, great to be on, gentlemen. My take is that if I were starting a franchise in the NBA, a new franchise, an expansion franchise, Seattle, finally get the team that they deserve, and Adam Silver tells them, you get to take one player off of any team and assume that you're going to have them for the rest of their career. You get to sign a 10-year contract with, with team options of every year. So you're going to get the player for the rest of their career. My guy, who I would take, is my good friend Jason Tatum on the Boston Celtics. <laughs> Before you guys start coming at me, there's a few different criteria that I think are really important for us to bear in mind. One, the obvious is that you have the guys that are at the top in the NBA right now. You have LeBron, you have Kawhi, you have Anthony Davis, you have Kevin Durant. They're all too old. You know, they're all you know, ranging from 29 to 35. You'll have a few prime years for sure. 100%. But for the purpose of this conversation, we're not choosing that. Then you have your, you know, your combo scoring guards, your guys like 
Devin Booker, you have your Jamal Murray, you have your Kyrie Irving, your point guards, you know, guys that are, that are great. But can they be the best player on a championship team? I don't know. So the criteria that I really think about is, can I have someone that is a reasonable MVP candidate for five to eight years that can be the best player on a championship team, that can get their own shot when they need to, that can guard the best player on the opposing team? And with that criteria, I think there are only three realistic candidates, Luka, Giannis, and Tatum. And I get it. Right now, honestly, Tatum's probably the worst player of the three. Giannis, MVP, you know, presumed MVP, defensive player of the year, is going to be one of the only guys to ever do that in the same year. Luka just had an unbelievable playoff run, unbelievable two-year run, 21 years old. But I think that Tatum, over the course of his career, will not only be the best of them, but will also give his team the best opportunity to win a championship. So first of all, I just want to say, I will sell you my approval of your take if you can get, as you said, your good friend Jason Tatum on <laughs> onto the podcast. It is up for sale. I am not above Well, memory. that friendship might be a one-way street right now, but I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the obvious response to this is, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, Giannis is arguably the best player in the NBA right now. Sure, you know, you can make your case for whatever, but statistically, Giannis, Luka, they're just better players. And you you also made the case about creating your own shot. I think that's a key point here. I would say Luka and Giannis do that better than Jason Tatum on on any day of the week, Jared, right? Luka for sure, right? He is... He's, I mean, he's a big body, but he's really a natural point guard, a, a ball handler, if you want to call him that. Guy that obviously has no problem getting his own shot. Giannis, it's, it's a, obviously a unique situation. He can handle the ball, and he runs the floor better than anyone in the league. He obviously doesn't have that, you know, go-to patented move like Luka has a step back. Giannis is kind of just bully ball, right? Like, he's just so much bigger and more athletic than, than these guys trying to guard him. My question for you, Adina, is when you, this take was raised – you know, taking age into consideration, obviously, which you did, there were four guys that came into my mind. You named three of them, which are Tatum, Giannis, and Luca. The fourth guy for me was Donovan Mitchell. And and my question is, what do you think separates Tatum from Donovan Mitchell? Even forgetting about Luca and Giannis for a second, why do you even put him ahead of Donovan Mitchell? I think uh, what separates Tatum from Mitchell is ultimately a, the same trait that I think will separate Tatum from Luka and, and also help with Giannis. I think it's the fact that Tatum could guard the best player on the opposing team. He's going to be on the all-NBA defensive team this year. As good as he is offensively, I think his defense is so unheralded. He and Brown, you know, obviously the Celtics have, have other good players, right? So I'm not saying that he's the only good defensive player on the team, but consistently will night in and night out take the other teams, if not their best wing player, He's not doing what LeBron does and taking the other team's worst offensive player and then just hunting for his own shot. He will man up and take the best player on the opposing team every single night. And that's what I think will really elevate Tatum over all of the combo scoring guards. And that, yeah, Donovan Mitchell, he's a great player, right? Nothing against him. But if you're playing against another elite player, is Donovan Mitchell going to be guarding them? And he doesn't have the body. He doesn't have the size. He doesn't have the defensive acumen to really be able to do that. Well, Tatum does, and that's, I think, something that, that really will differentiate him. I think something that is measured a lot more now than it was previously is, like, clutch points, and Chris Paul has really made a name for himself on that. And, and so I guess I ask, if you are taking a player right now for the remainder of his career and you're down five going to the fourth quarter, your assumption is that the best player on your team is going to have the ball and be making the clutch shots down, down the stretch. Would you argue that Jason Tatum, you would rather give him the ball in the fourth quarter down five than you would any of the three aforementioned names? Yes and no. I can't, in a straight conscience, tell you that I would do that every single time, you know, 100 out of 100 right now. But again, the argument isn't who's the best player right now. It's over the course of their career. I think that it is most reasonable to assume the most growth from Tatum out of any of the three. I think that Giannis has reached hit kind of the pinnacle of, of that he can possibly be as a player. Obviously, if he learned how to shoot, that'd be great. He'd be totally unguardable, but I think it's not reasonable to expect that a player, you know, this long 
into his career at this body size with the skill sets he has all of a sudden becomes a, a competent shooter when he has never been in his career. And I think that Luca also, for all of his heroics, is actually has very poor shooting numbers. He's only a 30% career three-point shooter. That's abysmal. So I think that while right now I would still give both both of them the ball over Tatum in the final two minutes of a game because they're better players than him right now, honestly, I think within two years that'll change. I think over the next five to seven after that, it'll be Tatum. I think that he has. I mean, he showed it when he was a rookie in Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals when he dunked on LeBron and hit a three right in his eyeballs 20 seconds later, and I thought my Celtics were one of the finals. Right? Like he, he's shown that he can do it. And while right now those two players are definitely better than him, I think that due to his age and the skill set he already has, that Tatum will only get better. He's already a 40% three-point shooter. He's already an elite spot-up shooter off the ball. He's already an elite catch-and-shoot guy, whereas Luka and Giannis just aren't. They're not threats off the ball at all, right? Giannis, I guess, in the post because the guy's always just a threat anytime he's on the court. But in general, he's not a, not a good cutter. And, and in the last five minutes of the game, actually, he's as we've seen over the past few years, he's just not as good because of the fact that the game gets tighter. Right, you don't. He's not running the floor in in the same way as in the, in the regular season. You have to ha- you have to execute in the half court offense, and that's not his that's not his skill set. And Luca, obviously, you know, is an otherworldly passer, and that that's I think the hardest hurdle for Tatum to overcome. To answer your point about giving him the ball in the last few minutes of a game, I think that ultimately, as a scorer, in the next few years, I would want the ball in Tatum's hands over either of the two. I think as a facilitator, Luca is next level and there's not even a real comparison to be made luca's been in the nba for two years and is already a passer the level of you know rondo and his prime or rubio he's not at lebron level yet that's like you know one of the best passers in the history of the nba but luca's an unbelievable facilitator he sees things that other people don't even know to look for that is something that tatum will never even be in the same category he'll never be in the same league no matter how much he improves as a passer and I, I understand that. That's that's and that's a huge reason why maybe Luca's the right answer here. But I personally think that as a scorer, Tatum is already so good and can get so much better with a reasonable improvement that I think it will just be easier to build a championship team around him. It'll be easier to surround him with other good players and for that team to win. Whereas Luca will have to play the hero every single time. That's what I think ultimately it'll come down to. I think Jason Tatum will win more championships than any of the other players. I think it'll be easier to build a championship team around him. If not right now, then in two years. I do think Tatum has very few question marks, especially when compared to other guys. Like, I think you're right in the sense, Luca. look, Luca's a big, I mean, we think of him as a point guard. He's a, he's a big guy, right? He's 6'7", 230. He's not like a 6'2", 180-pound point guard. But he's had injury problems in the past. He's never going to be the level defender that, both Giannis and and Tatum are. And on the other hand, Giannis, you're right. Because he is such a unique player, there are legitimate questions about not whether you can build the championship team around him, but just like what, what should that team look like in a way that those questions don't really exist with Tatum because he is, if he's going to be a star, we can see how that's going to work. It's, it's, you know, the, the same way that it's worked for a bunch of guys in the past is how you're going to be able to build a championship team around him. It's a great time for you to be making this argument with respect to Giannis, right? The Bucks are down 3-1 to one now. They're probably going to lose this series, and he's going to go through a whole offseason of people asking questions. We're already seeing it now. I forgot who it was the other day. I think it was Richard Jefferson who said, like, maybe Giannis is actually a Pippen and mm-hmm. not a Jordan. Mm-hmm. And they're going to lose this series in all likelihood, and we're going to have a whole offseason of that. And I, I think that's not really fair at this point. And it's just, to me, the guy, I mean, he's going to win his second MVP this year. And, and you're right, maybe maybe this is the best that it's ever going to be. But there's still a significant gap between what Giannis is right now and what Tatum is. And so if you're going to tell me that this is probably peak Giannis, 30 points a game, 14 rebounds, five and a half assists, and the best defensive player in the league, what's to say that Tatum is ever going to even get to that point? That's a very fair question. And I think the answer is that even, well, first of all, I think that we're assuming again that Giannis remains at this level for foreseeable future. Fine, right? There's no reason necessarily to assume that he doesn't. But I also think that while Giannis might be a better player than Tatum, I think, I think he kind of put the, 
hit the nail on the head when we're talking about specifically the playoffs and not to talk about recency bias, but Giannis is such a unique player that, sure, the guy could put up 30 points just by walking on the court and he'll get 10 rebounds literally simply by being alive, right? But when push comes to shove, you're down two with a minute left. You're not going to give him the ball because, one, he can't shoot. Two, he can't shoot free throws. And three, while he has a lot of assists, he's not that great of a facilitator. He kind of just drives and kicks to the open three. So if you have a set defense, he's just not as valuable of a player. Obviously, he's still the MVP, and he's still an incredibly valuable player. I meant within the top 1% of guys in the NBA, ultimately, because he is just not able to create his own shot in the standard, unique way that, that we see it from the top, top tier of players in the last few minutes of a playoff game, I just don't think his teams will end up winning the championships. I think you have Giannis, you're guaranteed a playoff berth. That's great. And that, that is not true if you have Tatum or, or Luka. Definitely not right now. My whole argument is predicated on the belief that Tatum will get a lot better. I think he will. All right, Jared. This is the time. If we keep the names that we've got here, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, Giannis, and we'll throw Donovan Mitchell in there. And Hey, I would even throw in Trey Young to this conversation, but that's neither here nor there. Are you buying or selling Jason Tatum as the centerpiece for the new Seattle NBA team? It's actually a lot closer than you would think when this was first pitched to us. I think, Adin, you did a great job laying out the problems in Giannis's game. The reason why there are questions that surround whether he can actually be the best player on a championship team. And that obviously has not been answered yet. We don't I, give participation trophy awards here, Jared. And that is why I cannot buy this argument at this point. Like I said, your whole argument right now is based on Tatum will get a lot better than what he already is, which is already a really good player, granted. But I still think the the chasm that exists right now between Giannis, if he never gets any better in Tatum, is significant. So significant that you can't just say Tatum will get better and reach that platform and Giannis is never going to get any better than he is right now. And for that reason, I can't buy it. In two years from now, if the Bucks still have not even been to an NBA Finals, this is a totally different conversation. I'm not ready to have it yet at 25 years old with Giannis. Yeah, it's, it's a tough sell. And you're right, right? Like, this is a futures bet. And, Adin, you made a great case for that. And I agree with Jared, even despite my snarkiness, that you did a good job and that this is closer than I would have anticipated it. The bet is that Giannis not even doesn't get better, but gets worse. He declines and that Tatum takes a sharp incline. And that's not a bet that's crazy. Like, it's not absurd to say that that could happen. But if we're going with the odds here, I got to sell this take for similar reasons. And also, you're right. Luca's passing is, as you said, otherworldly. And I don't think Tatum will ever get to that point. And, and Luca's already a prolific scorer. And so for these reasons, I'm selling your take, but I'm impressed by the argument for which you've put forth. Gentlemen, I, I respect that. All I'm going to say is, if you guys want to win regular season games or you want to win first-round playoff <laughs> games, enjoy. Take your Giannis, take your Luka. I like championships, and I'll take Tatum. And that's what it'll come down to. You want to, you want to get your 30 and 15, be the first seed? Take it. We'll see who wins more championships in the end. In two years from now, we will play this recording, and you know we'll see who's right. Listen, it might only be two months from now. I mean, the Bucks are on the verge of elimination. Celtics have – I mean, there's oh. no reason to think they can't get out of the Eastern Conference, this right? Is, this is a totally separate conversation, but in two months from now, Giannis won't even be on the Bucks. Oh, wow. 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 There's, wow. there's, 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 there's we, the we next We might have next week's chatter chain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Adin, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it, despite you not getting out of us to buy your take. We are grateful for your time and for your argument. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. Bobby, it's time to bring back maybe everyone's favorite guest on this podcast, the Quizmaster, Jeremy Tuck, for the weekly trivia segment. Wait, I'm a That's... favorite? Thanks, guys. Definitely in our minds. Oh, man, you guys are the best. Well, that might change after this week from one of our perspectives. So why don't you fill in the audience about what we have for this week? 
Okay, so Jared and I went to school together about 10 years ago, and we used to play this game while we were there called Initial Baseball, and here's how it works. Bobby and Jared have submitted to me a list of 10 names of baseball players currently active. I will give the other guy a set of initials for one of those players. Now, if they guess who that player is correctly, they get a home run. I will then give them hints, the league, the team, and the position in that order. And for every hint they get, they get one fewer base. So let's say I give them initials in league, they get a triple. Initials, league, and team is a double. Initials, league, team, and position is just a single. A wrong guess is an out, three outs, and your inning's over. Whoever scores more runs at the end of each of these 10 players on each side wins. Bobby? Since you won last week, you could choose to be the home team or road team, as in, do you want to bat first or pitch first? Oh, I'm, I'll, I'll be the home team. I'm, I love being the home team. All right. Welcome to Camden Yards. Jared, your first set of initials are SM. SM. Okay. I will ask for the league. American League. Team. Oakland Athletics. Of course you would go with the A's that you have adopted <laughs> them as your team. He has? Absolutely. They're yeah. in the World Series. I guess it's an alphabet thing. A's, yeah. O's, vowels. Uh, true, true. Fortunately for me, I'm fairly confident that he had this guy in our short-lived fantasy league. Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya, that is a double. Nice work, Jared. Nice work. Down the line, love it. All right. Depending on if Carlos Beltran hit it off of Holt Yon Santana, it could be fair or foul. Bobby, <laughs> your first player has the initials of MJ. Okay, so I'm. I would like to say Michael Jordan for the record, but that's not my guess. <laughs> I he thought about a, going with him, but he's a scab. Okay, let's do the league. National League. National League MJ. Team? Miami Marlins. God, who plays for the Marlins now? That's a great question. They yeah. changed their entire team because of COVID. Seriously. Position? Outfielder. Yeah, that's what I figured. God, I can't think of it. Ah. Uh... Is it Matt Joyce? It's Matt Joyce. Adam Joyce. Okay. okay. That's a single for Bobby. So we have a man on first in Baltimore. And we're going back to Queens. Jared? HR. HR. It's not Harold Reynolds. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> league. American League. It's the best league in the, in the in baseball. The junior circuit. Okay. I'm team. more biased towards National League ball myself. Uh, this wow. guy, yeah, it's better strategy. Argument for later. Toronto Blue Jays or Buffalo Blue Jays, depending on how you view them. Would this be former Los Angeles Dodger, Hunjin Ryu? It would be. <laughs> and that is an RBI double. Yes, it is. Wow, back-to-back doubles. Okay. All right. Okay. Starting off strong. Doubles machine. Jared brings in a run. It's one nothing, Bobby. ES. I have a name, and I kind of want to go for it. All right, feel free. Fortune favors the bold. Fortune favors the bold. Is it? Is it Eugenio Suarez? That is an out. Ah. We were looking for Eric Sogard. Okay. Okay. Former face right. of baseball, if you remember, a few years back. Yeah. Very it's all, true. It's all about the glasses, man. Yeah. As a fellow spec wearer myself. Okay, Jared, you have a runner on second, one in, none out, for RH. For RH. Let's, let's take Ricky Henderson off the board. Name I'll drop. take the league. National League. Okay, back to the senior circuit. Don't give me a break. <laughs> R-H I'll take the team Philadelphia Phillies 
Reese Hoskins. Another double. Three doubles down the line. Just foul. And honestly, I'd like to take a look at the replay to see if they're fair. He's challenging it. <laughs> it's fair. That's Since ridiculous. you guys gave me the names, I am simply an impartial observer, right. which is the original intention of what umpires are to be and not what Joe West and Laz Diaz have become. <laughs> True. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Bobby, AD. Uh, Anthony Davis. <laughs> Um, AD. All okay. Day. I'll take the league. National League. Team? Uh, Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati Reds, AD. Another team that I am not as familiar with. And I'll take the position. He's a pitcher. God, who starts with that team? It's not easy. Nope, nope, it's not coming to me. I'm going to take, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say Adam Duvall, even though I know that's he's not the picture, <laughs> but I'm just going to throw out an AD out there. All right, it's Anthony Desclafani. Uh, okay. He's okay. been there for a while. That's two outs, Bobby. Is that a sack right. bunt for Bobby? No. It doesn't matter. He's scoring from single. Sack from, bunt goes He's to scoring from, first, from second on a single anyway, right? Or is he only have a guy on first? I forgot. He yeah, has a guy first. on first, so okay. he's got to bring him home with a triple because right. we're not taking extra bases here. Jared, T.S., Yes, I want to hit a homer at some point here, just to you know, assert myself. But T.S. Go for it. You're up too. I don't have one though right now to throw off. For some reason, I thought Travis Snyder right off the bat. I don't think he's been in the league for like ten years. <laughs> that is a name I haven't heard in a while, so that kind of tells you that. What league did this guy play in? National League. Another National Leaguer. Trevor Story. That's a triple. Wow. All right. So that is 3-0, Jared. WF, Bobby. Remember, you got two outs. Yeah. I uh, Like, I want to go for it, but I it's, it's, it's a mistake. Uh, I'll take the league. National League. Mm-hmm. Team? San Francisco Giants. And position? Uh, he's a utility infielder. Oh, God damn. Wander yeah. Franco. Uh, Wilmer Flores. Wilmer Flores. All right, that's three outs, Bobby. Rough one. Rough one. Yeah. Jared, we could keep going if you want. Uh, yeah, let's, let's go through it. You want me to keep uh, going? Yeah. Okay. All right, let's go through it. Bobby will just be in the second inning. So let's, we're gonna... let's do one or two more, and we'll, we'll see how he does. All right, Bobby, I'm just going to wipe your board. You're going to come in with a new inning. <laughs> this is – this is <laughs> – uh, Jared, J-A. J-A. League. American League. Jose Abreu? That's another triple. Bobby, beginning of the second inning for you. CS. <laughs> oh, man. Give me the league. National League. Uh-huh. Team? The Diamondbacks. Position? Uh, he's a pitcher. Good God. I have no idea. <laughs> Who is it? Caleb Smith. Good. How many years has he been in the league? Not a lot, I don't he's think. Been, he's been, he, listen, he made the requisite number of starts. That's true. That's that, true. That's all I specified in the rules, so. That's true. That counts. Got he's got like 50 career starts, something like that. I said the minimum was 25, so. Um, let's go with RN and we'll call it a day after that. RN. Because if this run scores, Jared Bobby can't possibly win. So Jared, a single will take it. RN. I'd like to hit a homer. But Ricky Nolasco no longer plays. All right, give me the league. American League. I'll take the team. Baltimore Orioles. Mm, I was wondering if he would go with one of his guys. RN. I'm surprised you didn't go with one of yours. Yeah. R N. 
This would be Mr. Renato Nunez. Mm-hmm. And that's your ball game. Well, I mean, that's whew, that's like a, that's a clean sweep there. Nice, nicely done. I, I concede this week's championship. No protest. It is yours to take. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear we're not going to have to have an appeals process, get like the commissioner involved. This is just a peaceful transition of power the way it should be. Thank you so much, Quizmaster. I see that I have been, I mean, bested would be an understatement here, but I will be back and better than ever. We appreciate your time. Of course. Thank you very much, guys. Bobby, this week we're bringing back a very special This Week in Sports History. It's been a while since we did it, but we could not pass it up this week. Do you remember September 6th, 1995. It's weird because do I actually really remember it? Probably not, but I've seen what I think you're referring to so many times that I feel like I was there. It is a special day in your heart and the hearts of Baltimore Orioles fans of all ages across the nation. And that is because it is the day that Cal Ripken Jr., the greatest shortstop of all time. Never a question broke Lou Gehrig's streak of consecutive games played, 2,131 games. What does the record mean to you, Bobby? It is really, really special, obviously, because I'm an Orioles fan, obviously, because Cal Ripken is my number one favorite player, and because whenever I play any sports ever, if I have a jersey, I'm going for number eight. But beyond that, this record is really something. First of all, it's 25th anniversary. That's crazy to me. I remember watching him play, you know, whatever. But 25 years ago, he broke this record, which is wild. Number two, this to me is the record that is most, has, has the most transferable message to non-sports players. You hit 100 home runs, you know, you score a bunch of points. There are a lot of different athletic references you can make but this is something that's just he prepared every day to come to work and he did and did it well and he did it over the course of what wound up being 2,632 consecutive games you know you mentioned right before we came on the air here that he broke the record and then played another 500 more I just recently did the math if you take his 2632 and you divide it by 162 just just to see you know on average, how many seasons he was playing, he played over 16 consecutive seasons. And he was probably hurt for some of them. And he still went through. And, and it is just inspiring, you know, just, just to see somebody do something like that really gives you hope that so many other things are possible. Yeah, it's such a paradox to me because on the one hand, it's so impressive, right? Obviously, it will never be matched. It's not something that could really ever happen because nowadays, if a guy takes a bad step running down to first base, he gets pulled from the game with like hamstring tightness. You don't see him for a couple of games. And it's just the way baseball is played now, like guys are just given schedule days off. You're never going to see it happen. On the other hand, it's like there's nothing inherently – Impressive is not the right word, but like that stands out about it, right? It's not mm-hmm, like he would, mm-hmm. it's not like hitting a home run every day, even getting a hit. It's not like doing anything. It's just being on the field every single day for 16 years, basically. And it's just so incredible that, like I said, he didn't, he never had one injury in that time that would take him, forget about even putting him on the injured list, just taking him out of the lineup for a day. And I would love to know. We got to get Cal Ripken Jr. on at some point. And I would just love to know, like, when did it become a thing in his mind? Because he obviously didn't start the streak saying, I'm going to play the next Mm -hmm. 2,000 games Mm -hmm. in a row to break Lou Gehrig's record. So I wonder, like, when it became a thing for him where it was like, I can't miss a game. I can't come out of the lineup tomorrow because I have my streak. Yeah, it's it's weird, you know, because, you know, you talked about, like, how great the streak is or or not. You know, you're right. He he did – have a legendary career. He had 3,000 hits. Right. He had 400 home runs. He had God knows how many gold gloves, a bunch of all-star selections, a couple of MVPs, World Series, sure. All these things are amazing. 
But you're right, he wasn't great every single day. You know, did he make his team better by being on the field every day? Sure, yeah, probably. But, like, I go back and forth with this in my mind. Like, is this the greatest record in sports? Because on one hand, I could probably make that argument, but I feel like some of my bias might come in there. But on the other hand, is it's, it's not it, – it's super impressive – but you're right. It's not like he like did anything inherently in the game of baseball. It's not a, a stats-based thing. So I, I guess I turn this to you. Is, is this the greatest record in sports? I guess it depends on how you define great. We've had this conversation before about like the most unbreakable records. I don't see any scenario in which this is ever broken. But I wonder like how you compare this to... Eli Manning streak in the NFL of like not missing a start. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. The, so mm-hmm. the number of games is obviously way fewer because there's only 16 games in an NFL season. And so I think Eli's like somewhere, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't remember what the number was. Played his entire career without missing a start. That's what, 15, 16 years. And obviously, the NFL is a much more punishing sport. Granted, he's a quarterback and not a running back, but he's still taking a bunch of vicious hits over the course of his career. And so I wonder like, in your mind, how do you compare those two records? It's, it's impossible to compare, for, in my opinion, because it's, it's like comparing hitting a home run and how many home runs you hit to how many touchdowns you throw. They're just – it's too hard because no football player will ever play 2,632 consecutive games. It's just – it's impossible. But the fact that a guy like Eli Manning was able to do that, and it's not like he wasn't touched. I mean, that guy definitely had years where that offensive line just wasn't good. And he would get lit up. And you know that that guy had bumps and bruises and strains and God knows what. And he still played and won a couple of Super Bowl titles at that. It's going to be hard for me to say that it's the same. But I, but I think it's not as far away as people might think. Is it the hardest record to break that is still feasible? Maybe. You know, people always, like, talk about Cy Young and 511 wins. And we say that that can't be done anymore. This is something that physically could be done, but it's just not. So is this, is this the hardest record to break, maybe? I think it's definitely the most underappreciated. And that feels like a weird thing to say because – the thing that you associate Cal Ripken Jr. with is this record, right? For all of his career accolades, for, all, for the World Series and the MVPs and the 400 home runs, this will be the thing that you forever associate him with. But it's just a strange thing, like I said, because like when you see videos of other records being broken, whether it's Bonds breaking the single-season home run record or the career home run record, it's like, in action and there's like this huge there's like this mm-hmm, climactic mm-hmm. moment and the same thing with Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's record at the time and with Ripken like what's the footage that you always see it's the numbers on the warehouse switching from 2130 to 2131 it's not like like I said it's not like this this moment where he broke the record it's like he came out onto the field for the bottom of the fifth inning and that's when the record was broken just by him stepping on the field and so it's like one of those things that it feels like it's one of the greatest records in sports and at the same time not held in the same regard as like the career home runs record. Do you, do you know what I'm saying there? hundred percent. Absolutely. It, we were talking about it before. It's not a stats based thing. Undervalued. I would probably say is, is accurate under it, and it, undervalued. Isn't the same as underappreciated. Those are two very different things. And so, yeah, I would, I would call it undervalued. Just a quick side note. Can you imagine him hitting a ground ball in the fourth inning of that last game, the 21-31 game, running to first and, like, rolling <laughs> his ankle, like, tearing his ACL? I mean, what, is he going to limp out to shortstop? I mean, that would be ridiculous. Yeah. Like, what would it have taken for him to not get out there for the You have to wonder. But either way, an incredible milestone, one that will never be broken and one that was absolutely worth bringing back. This Week in Sports History, just to acknowledge the greatness that is the very greatest, number one, no debate, greatest shortstop of all time. That's it. There's no more. Jared, we have completed and finished episode 19. Episode 19 in the books. Another one down. 
Can't wait for the next one. And the next one, the next one's kind of a big deal, right? 20 episodes for Chatter Up. This is a huge deal. The big two zero. Thanks to everyone who stuck with us from episode one. This is going to be a big episode. We're not going to let you down. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. I don't even know any more adjectives I could use in this episode, but it's going to be great. You're not going to want to miss it. Tune in for another What Did I Miss? Some more fun and games, some absolute hysteria, and a whole lot more. And you can find us on Twitter at chatter underscore up. Same handle on Instagram at chatter underscore up. And you can send us an email with any thoughts or ideas that you have about the podcast. We want to hear it all at chatteruppodcast at gmail.com. Lastly, big thanks as always to the quiz master, Jeremy Tuck, for giving us this time this week. And big thanks to Chatter Chamber entrant Adin Liss for his scalding hot take in the Chatter Chamber. Scalding hot, just like the popularity of this podcast, and it's only going up from here. We'll see you all next week on the next Chatter Up.